Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our very special series of Empire Podcast Spoilers Specials. This one is dedicated to Paddington 2, the return of everybody's favourite marmalade-loving CG bear. Now, you might think there's not a lot that can be talked about in a spoiler special with regards to Paddington 2 and... You might be right, but we did it anyway because we loved this movie so much. We gave it five stars. Uh, it is an adorable piece of cinema. Uh, get out there if you haven't already seen it. And join me over the next, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes just to wax lyric about this movie and gush relentlessly about it are two of my favourite, favourite people in the world. Nick DeSemlin. Hey, Chris. Hey, Nick. How are you? I'm all right. That's great, Nick. And uh, Helen O'Hara. Hello. Hello, Helen Hello, with the Irish there. I don't know. I just I just want to be more jovial and upbeat for this because you sometimes a spoiler special. I, I have a little bit, haven't I? But you know, like Knuckles McGinty, Knuckles. Um, you know, I, I just I'm so happy about this film. Just thinking about this movie makes me happy. It brings a, yeah. a big smile to my face. I'm feeling a little bit tense. I'll be honest. Why? I just have a feeling you're going to unleash your Jim Broadbent impression during this. Oh no, he wouldn't, this, would he? Ooh. This, oh, oh hello. What have I done? Oh. Uh, hang on a second, Jim Broadbent has just arrived, everybody. Oh, what, what's this? But I thought that Simon uh, Farnaby and Paul King were the celebrity interviewees on this podcast. Oh, hello. What was that? It's a little bear. Oh, my word, Jim Broadbent. You've, oh, get out of the room. Um, no, I would never do that to you, Nick. You, you haven't for, been doing that for the past two months. For 45 minutes as we checked in okay. at, what was it, Comic-Con? We were, we were walking, flying over we Comic Con. Yeah, we were walking around an airport, and you. Un- it was. It Nick was, was accompanied by Jim Broadbent. It was Jim Broadbent, but it was also <laughs> Ray Romano. There was it a was lot of Ray, Ray Romano. Romano. Why? I, it's yeah. unclear. Look at his face whenever I, I start even remotely doing a Jim Broadbent impression. That's why I do it. Yeah, I, I got jet lag and impression lag for that <laughs> trip. It was anyway. That that was my best Broadbent, but anyway, there was a lot of pressure on me to do it at that point. Uh-huh. So anyway, sure. it's all good. So we'll be discussing the film because we love the film, but also. There is quite a lot to dig into in this movie, thematically and plot-wise. Uh, and to do that, we were helped by the film's director and co-writer, Paul King, and the film's co-writer, Simon Farnaby, who also returned to this movie as Barry, the security guard and vice deputy head of security at St. Paul's Cathedral. And we talked to, I talked to him for 40 minutes or so about this movie. We covered loads and loads of stuff, and it's a lot of fun. So listen to them first, then come back, and we'll just gush. Yay. Not in a sex way. Ew. It's a... Here's Paul King and Simon Farnaby. Enjoy. Uh, we are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast for this very special Paddington 2 spoiler special <laughs> by the director of the film, Paul King. Hello. And the co-writer of the film and, of course, returning once again as Barry, Simon Farnaby. Hello. Thank How you. Are- <laughs> thank you. How are you? Very really well. good. Spoiler special. Does that mean we, we can, can, we can we talk can about it. any we aspect of talk the about plot? any aspect? He dies in a hail of bullets <laughs> so. in the first frame, and then you we see, rewind. You see, you say that as a joke, but there was a, there's a moment in this Arthur movie. Arthur Penn's Paddington Two. <laughs> <laughs> that is the next step, surely. There is there is a moment in this movie where it looks like Paddington is a goner. You know, you nearly kill him by drowning, which is a horrible fate for any bear. You pull him back from the brink, obviously. I was led to believe it was quite a nice way to go. That's what—that's <laughs> the sort of the playground myth, isn't it? They go, oh, yeah, it's like being high. And you go, I suspect it's more like drowning, which is probably horrible. <laughs> it's really unpleasant. Um, yeah, it's nice to, it's yeah. nice to take the audience to sort of really feel, feel that, that level of tension, I think. There's yes. sort of something... It was definitely a scene we were sort of slightly concerned about for younger viewers as well. And so it's one of those things where you've got to really judge it to kind of go, oh, no, is he actually in trouble? Which is sort of quite a hard thing to get to in a, in a movie, you know, because yes. you sort of just assume everyone's going to be fine. And of course he will be fine. So it's sort of like, it's like playing Jenga, you know, you just sort of need to keep the tower just standing up, but have a good old rock. And then, uh, <laughs> and then it makes the, the ending all the more satisfying. At least think, there's, no, there's no blood involved. No blood. There's no blood. Which is all they really care about, isn't it? It's like the A-team. You can machine gun 400 people, but as long as they don't actually bleed, that's fine. You're absolutely okay. Yeah. Uh, there, is a, there is a lovely moment when uh, Mrs. Brown and Paddington share a kind of, oh, this is, this is it. This, yes. this, this could be a farewell. There will be no more Paddingtons after this. Uh, that's such, that is a really, really uh, reflective moment in the middle of this quite frenetic uh, chase, you know, chase sequence. Um, can you talk about that decision that, that, to, to incorporate something like that into a kid's movie? 
Because it, it feels like the level of jeopardy in Paddington 2 was decreased from the first movie. You, did, you had a, a, a bad guy who wasn't trying to kill Paddington. And then suddenly, here comes this sequence. We want to, it, It's a funny thing doing a sequel because you sort of feel that you've kind of, you've made a sort of a long trailer in a way with the first film to go, you're going to get, you know, action and adventure, some comedy, some slapstick, some emotion. Mm. And, you, and you sort of need to sort of, there's a degree of delivering on what people have come to see. But we didn't really want to sort of start with a villain who was setting out to get Paddington from from day one because it would have felt like we were just going through the same beats and, and we sort of felt that was going to be a very difficult kind of uh, shape to sustain without it just feeling like we'd reset the first film or here's the next person who wants to stuff Paddington. It would have felt yeah. a bit relentless. So we started talking about a snowball and also because a lot of our favourite Paddington stories are, are very small and it's, you know, mm. Paddington goes to the barbers, Paddington puts up a deck chair sort of thing. Yes. And so, and we didn't want to kind of not have those bits in it but because of the sort of shape of the film he starts and he's already in Windsor Gardens and so you're sort of probably going to have those things quite early on and we tried to do this thing where it starts very gently all he wants to do is buy his Aunt Lucy a yes. 100th birthday present and you go well how wrong can it go <laughs> and, and then sort of push it as far as far as far and then he ends up in a in a railway carriage filling with water, and you go, well, "That's that's pretty unsuccessful trip to the shops." <laughs> we, yeah, we we want, we we had. Uh, I remember us talking about the Big Lebowski and going, "Isn't it great?" At the beginning where he just goes, "I just want to get my rug back." Yeah, and mm. it's that sort of. I just want to get my Aunt yes. Lucy's yeah. present. Yeah, and we used the word organic a lot when it came to the villain to answer you know, okay. your yeah. question yeah. because we liked that. Like Paul said, you know, we wanted someone who wasn't immediately the obvious villain and though i guess you get that a bit but that he sort of grew into his into his villainry yes yeah, so he doesn't set out going i must kill that bear in a kind of cruella de vil way it's kind mm. of much more he's just an actor and he just wants to put on a one-man show and so the whole thing sort of starts off. but he's desperate yeah yeah because he's a great shape for caper somehow so, isn't yeah. it that you sort of go it starts with with little things that, that build and build uh, and of course, it, it leads to. I mean, we're starting with the end of the movie, which is weird, but you know, go with it. And, uh, <laughs> so, um, it leads to that amazing moment at the end of the film when, uh, and I'm struggling not to tear up now, you bastards. Uh, just thinking about it when Aunt Lucy returns, and that is something I've spoken to you both about this in the past. That is something that you pretty much had from day one, wasn't it? I think it was. I think it was day it, one. It was literally. It was, it was day day two. I have the records. <laughs> it was day two. Weirdly, I do have the records because I just kept notes day by day. I had sort of this grand idea that. I would write a Paddington diary. But then by about the end of three weeks, I'd, I'd run out of keeping notes day by day and the film had just sprawled into a hundred different ideas that didn't work. But Simon said it very early on. Uh, we were sort of talking about what he might want to do and, and, and I think Simon said, oh, it should be... Uh, it should be uh, we were talking about the pop-up book and I said, oh, he's got this pop-up book. And Simon said, oh, it should be a present for, for Aunt Lucy. For, yeah. and, I, and I think then... Well, what, I can't remember I think who it was said for Mary. I think it was for Mary. I said... Because I think there's a story where it's a... This is how I remember it. was her 40th birthday. Yes. There is a story, a Michael Bond story, where he wants to buy a present for 40th birthday and it all goes wrong. Mm. So I said, oh, I think that's a great sort of simple start. And Paul, Paul went, yeah. And then he went, but maybe it should be for Aunt Lucy and it should be a 100th birthday. Mm. And then yeah. we both... And I think we more or less course. immediately went and then the community would get her over at the end. Like it was, it was yeah. one of those things yeah, where you, that go, happened quite you quickly, get the yeah. kind of bookends... And it seems really, it seemed really good. And, and it was also, I suppose, talking about Paddington and his quite odd status that he is settled with this family. And you sort of start looking at the character and you go, OK, well, where is he? And, and, and what story, you know, the traditional story arc is here's a character, here's his floor or her floor or this is what's missing or what they want. And you go, well, Paddington doesn't really start like that because he's happy in his home. And we were sort of digging into, well, what, what does he want? Well, maybe he wants to feel... Uh, integral to the community rather than just somebody's guest which is sort of how we left him at the end that he was sort of the brown's house guest rather than part of the family or mm. or maybe he misses aunt lucy in peru and you start digging into the character trying to find a little before shots that you you know a little problem that you can heal by the end i suppose and that was very much us watching our, our other sequels we sort of watched a bunch of sequels and toy story 2 especially we kind of felt was very successful as kind of going it's not just, I want to be number one with Andy again. It was like, well, the next step in the journey of a, you know, toy slash child might be one day my child will abandon me. You know, yes. and it's kind of, you know, that, that does feel like a proper next chapter and a bit of a step up. 
and so we started talking about Paddington in the community as well and and you know and sort of dug out a what we hope is a is a good emotional backbone for a for a movie that isn't just guess what mr brown's gone off paddington again and (laughs) what (laughs) which is so unsatisfying when you go oh right you know i mean even in toy story not to not to criticize that masterpiece but you each time in the all three of them they basically try to reset buzz and you kind of go well the next one it's not buzz it's another buzz who can just be what buzz is and then the third one he gets his batteries and you go they they get away with it but it's 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 i think that's the hard thing with sequels is you sort of go you're trying to have your cake and eat it and sort of repeat what was good and, and and change what wasn't one element i found really touching was the fact that paddington is called paddington brown in this Hmm. Uh, is that something you decided very early on that he was going to be fully incorporated into the family to the point where he took their surname as well? I think in the in the first film, I, I sort of had an idea for a while that there was it was going to end with a a ceremony, a kind of naturalisation ceremony. Was, was the end. <laughs> this, this, this is the kind of level of terrible idea that I have, and actually go through. Because everyone right. knows, everyone needs a naturalisation well, ceremony scene. It's, but you it's, know, the amazing uh, thing is, if you if you see them on the it's a staple of or children's <laughs> entertainment. But but when you see them, they are actually the most moving things in the world because you've got these people who have come from terrible hardship and they've you know travelled and they've chosen to make their home in a country which most of us don't do. Uh, they are incredibly beautiful, poignant things, and I thought it could be very sweet. I'm defending the idea. Obviously, <laughs> I, I did realise the idea was bad before we filmed it. But um, it always felt like the Browns, they call him Paddington. And it's, it's it sort of had that sort of slight, slight imperial overtone of, uh, hmm, look at that waterfall. I shall call it after my mother. You know, which I always <laughs> kind of like how the, the Victorians rolled. And, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, but to give them their actual family name felt like quite a beautiful thing. Uh, so we never really saw the scene, but it felt like Paddington has been properly adopted and this is his home. And we also wanted to make the the family as solid as possible because we really didn't want to retread the, are the family going to go off? And, like the, As we were developing the script, people would occasionally ask, well, do the Browns definitely believe Paddington was innocent? And we always said, yes, yeah. 100%. Because the easy thing to do would have been have Mr. Brown going, well, maybe, I mean, you know, he does get confused or, or something. But it always just felt like it broke the first film and, and sort of yes. spoilt it, you know. And uh, and you can know they love him and he really is part of the family and they will believe him and other people might not, but they're going to be the gang, you know, and that. Yeah, you really can important. repeat that. So the fire experience in the first one where they go, well, he caused the fire. Yeah. yeah. You would feel that you were playing that card again on a grander scale. So we always sort of resisted. resisted and I think it's that. nice because it gives you the the, yeah. the, the the cavalry, you know, that, that he's on the inside with his story and they're on the outside with their story. And that, and that felt like it gave us something to cut back and forth between, which is, is quite a nice narrative thing to sort of, you know, yes. park a storyline and look at another one. Did you also study then the uh, the British judicial system and how it would operate uh, with regards to a talking bear? Is that exactly what would happen uh, if Paddington had been convicted? Would he then go immediately to prison? Uh, I'm just. I'm to... I think. I mean, it, it, oh, um, it depends yeah. how you classify him, whether he's an animal or a child mm, yeah. or, or a kind of adult. I mean, he sort of goes to an adult prison, which really feels like it's asking for trouble. Uh, but um, yeah. we sort of really didn't want to go there because it's only it's only. No one's asked that question, apart from you. Apart from you. I mean, people with really perverted minds. (laughs) You get the feeling they're like dogs, you know, they're slightly older than... Chris isn't like a dog. No, not Chris. No, Paddington. (laughs) I'm a little like a dog. I just marked my territory before you came in. If you wonder what the smell is. You did wee in the corner um, before we started. That was my best bag. No one's allowed to go over there. (laughs) Um, it's mine now. <laughs> but you don't feel that Paddington is like a sort of eight-year-old, you know, even though he probably is about sort of eight. You feel yeah. like he's... And, and I think actually that the, there's a sort of slightly... There's something that I find slightly difficult. People always go, is it sort of about Brexit or something? You go, of course it's not about Brexit. It's an international children's film. And also I think the rules for kind of children are very different from grown-ups I, I think genuinely if an unaccompanied minor appeared in the country even even the angriest mm. uh you know uh, most self-righteous 
Brit wouldn't throw them straight in the can. But it's why we were quite keen, actually, on the judge in the barber shop because that yes. was something that we, we. It's not actually a pure straight line story-wise to yeah. go to the barber shop. You could actually lift that out, apart from the fact that that it serves the incredible injustice of Pennington being sent, sent to prison. <laughs> and you sort of get it. I think you go, he's giving him a bad haircut. Tom Conti, the ju- judge, Tom Conti is very angry. Yeah. So he sentences him regardless of his age, his, you know, yes. yeah. uh, what Ten sort of animal he is. Yeah. Grievous go, barber okay. behind. Yeah, you were always, yeah, Simon was always behind. really keen that like, because he is sort of framed for a crime he didn't commit, but taking a pop-up book is, you don't feel is... <laughs> You, I mean, they're all no, worse ten crimes. Years. Ten is a tough sentence. And they didn't even find the book on him as well. He is really just for breaking a window. The evidence is flimsy. It really is flimsy. I mean, they know, justice for Paddington. Luckily, he gets out, so I'm not going to start that grass, grassroots <laughs> campaign. But I would. That, I would. The, I'm just the, saying. The, the plot is riddled with old. <laughs> again, again, the, the bar, again, the, the, judge, the, the judge, the judge, the judge is our saving bad grace. But he gets his comeuppance in the end. He, the, he does. He does. He yeah. Face down. Yeah. Face down. Um, Let's not tear it to shreds. We're not no, it's it not shreds. even out yet. Out. <laughs> welcome, welcome this to the sort of thing that's normally two years later. Welcome to the joy of a spoiler special. Oh, it's great. I that like thing it. you did in the movie. Why, why did you do that thing in the movie? I know. Um, there's there's a lovely thread that runs throughout and really pays off with the Aunt Lucy thing at the end, which is that you keep Aunt Lucy alive as a presence in the movie. Uh, and, you know, we have the amazing pop-up book sequence. Uh, Paddington is constantly writing to her and evoking her memory in the audience. Clearly that was deliberate. Can you can you talk about, about that and how you studied it throughout the, throughout the film? Um, yes, we, um, well, I'm glad you said that because it was something that we, we worked on because it is this sort of top and tail, you know, and he goes on this, he, he wants to do the simple thing for her and he thinks he's got to sort of make her proud. And I suppose his journey is that he sort of discovers that he doesn't have to have to do some grand gesture or buy something for it. The things, you know, she's proud of him because of his little acts of kindness and yeah. what he does. So it was important for us to keep her alive through the movie and I think that's the sort of the dream in, in the in the prison as well you know that, that's, yeah, of that's and the prologue. you know and then the prologue was a big one you know because that that was something that we were keen on to um, uh, it's quite a strange way to open the film in a way to have to have that and sort of go back in time and it's mm. you know it would have been easy just to start in London and have a big busy way Pannington's mm. in London and he's got loads of friends <laughs> but it was important to us again just, just to and I think we hope that's uh, why people do find it emotional. You obviously do because you're yeah. I, you're crying now. I'm I can crying see now. There's yeah. tears coming down your I face. Am. Just I me am. talking about it in a very sort of methodical way. They have. They have. They <laughs> but, <laughs> but even that, even that, you you can't help yourself. Um, but yes, that beginning bit is that sort of is is really just to show how much she, you know she the sort of backstory between them and their their bond. So mm. and to see yeah. what she gave up for him. That, that yeah. London was really mm. her dream because otherwise it was all just reported by. Paddington and Mm. there's a sort of little thing of this kind of physical connection between them that I think one of the things I I think works works well in the film is that especially in family films but but sort of lots lots of films there's so much kind of theme work goes in that you can really quite often feel yourself being spoon-fed kind of my problem is my dad never cared for me, you know, and it'll come out as some big speech mm. sort of 60 minutes in where you go, ugh, we got to sit through this. And the great <laughs> thing in family films, watching family films with cinema audiences, is anyone under the age of eight goes, I'm going to the loo now. Because <laughs> they just, they know this is the boring bit that you've got to go through. And one of the things I suppose we felt about Paddington was that although he would never say it because it would seem ungrateful, here he is living in London in this lovely house with a lovely family who've adopted him, is he really misses his Aunt Lucy. But he never says, I miss my Aunt Lucy. It's just when he imagines Aunt Lucy coming to London in the pop-up book, he has a great big bear hug with her. And there's something really nice that you go, I think as an audience, without having to be forced down your throat, you go, he misses his mummy figure and he wants to have a cuddle. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, when he does have a cuddle, you realise that there's something very, very primal that's been missing in Paddington, Mm -hmm. just physically, as as, as well as sort of emotionally and wanting to make her proud and wanting to get her a present and everything. He just, you know, misses his his mum. Uh, and and I think it's it's just really emotional and it's sort of uh, it's very pleasing to see grown people 
<laughs> trying hard not to cry. Do you stand at the back of screen rooms just going, cry, you bastards, cry. Yes. I mean, cry. the terrible thing is, and this is an awful thing, where I'm um, talking about... <laughs> The, the terrible it's because it, part of the job is to sort of obviously take people on an emotional journey and when you sort of Simon and I sat at a, we did a little test screening you do these test screenings where a few hundred people come and watch it and you sort of try to get a sense of what real humans might feel not just people <laughs> not just people who've been working on the film yeah. for three years and um, we were sitting and a little girl sat in front of us and there's a bit where the doorbell goes and she's like it's going to be hot Lucy and then sobbed solidly for the next minute. And Simon and I sort of high-fiving and going, yeah, baby, we got him. We <laughs> make those like, kids cry. We in your whooping. face, little girl. Yeah. <laughs> Get in. <Exactly. laughs> crying. You're going to be thinking about that all afternoon. <laughs> I, I've seen it twice now with an audience, and uh, you end on that, that lovely hug between Paddington and Aunt Lucy, and the, the, then you, all you can hear is sniffles mm. in the audience. And then, so you won't have people walking out of the cinema dabbing their, their eyes, you deploy Phoenix Buchanan in that amazing song and dance Bring in number. Phoenix yeah. with the big, you know, the big song and dance routine. Mm. And we, we also wanted to do, because it's this sort of film about looking for the good in people and, you know, uh, and how everyone's got good in them. And, and you know, it, it needs a, a sort of Paddington figure to bring that out somehow. And it felt very nice not to leave him suffering. Like, you want to know that he's in... Sort of one of my favourite bits of the film, weirdly, is the scene where Phoenix gets sentenced because he's so <laughs> self-pitying. It's a very yeah. nice bit of performance from, from Hugh. But then he does, of course, come good and he learns to work with his other, with his fellow inmates and there's a sort of little... Yes, if, if, if you look very carefully, you, you see the agent, his agent, Joanna Lumley, okay. says Phoenix's problem is he doesn't work, can't work with other yes. people. Yes. And really that's his very tiny little flaw that mm. he gets healed. At the end, he does... There he is, and he's learned to work because he has to it's not work with other prisoners, <laughs> and he finds it very enjoyable. And he didn't even know that's mm. what he needed. Yeah, absolutely. You know? so everyone's happy. So, uh, as writers, is your goal to make each other laugh when you're writing uh, this movie? But as, is it also do you, do you try and make each other cry in in a, in a way when you're coming up with the emotional beats of the film? We never we never try to make each other. <laughs> is it just like a default setting, or you just crying well, in front of each other cry. automatically? I, I think also a lot of the emotional stuff comes from sort of story structure. Yeah. So it's kind of it's quite sort of cold and and, and technical. <laughs> but when but I find when I'm typing the scenes uh, that I find I find that mm. emotional. Like when I type the end scene, I definitely had. A, a sort of oh poor Paddington you know the, those tough moments and you're sort of trying to imagine the emotion it might have so I have that but never in the room with you mm. no it's fun no because it is it is you do sort of just go oh it'd be great if she said this and she can't you know and she comes back at the end or mm. you know and then you do feel it and you, but in your mind you're just going how can we best that's a good idea. How can we best yeah, of um, course. make but, it work? Yeah, like for example, like for, when she is in the door at the end, for that for ages that was silence, and I had a very strong kind of directory feeling that that should be silence and it should just be music. And I, I really knew the shots, like from it was a you know it, it's one of those. It wasn't hard to think of that. And then we sort of kept getting this note going: Are they going to say anything? Is it going to be? Is Aunt Lucy going to say something? And I really resisted it for ages. And then I sort of suddenly saw the film through the light of other people's thoughts. And I went, oh, you could say something. And Simon and I had a kind of Saturday morning. That's right. Uh, yes, where we we're did. going, what can, they, what can mm. they say that isn't like cheesy and sort of, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of, but that does kind of put a little button on it, you know, a sort of, um, a sort of full stop on the scene. And that was probably the closest we came to trying to make each other cry. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, because we kept saying lines and then it... And we were yes, that's right. then, obviously. So yeah. Um, and easy. then we got the sort of, why doesn't he just say, you know, happy birthday, Aunt Lucy. Yeah. And I think we both felt a yeah. little... The simplicity of that was yeah. quite kind of And it's the sort of line moving. that Ben can do yeah. amazingly. You, he, you always hear Ben's voice doing it rather than... Like he's much better at... Because he's such a good actor, I think the less you write the theme, the better it is. Like the lines he always, when we're doing the recordings, the lines he always go, and you go, oh, that's not working that well. <laughs> Other ones where you go, that's because we've, we've written the theme on the surface. Mm. And when he yeah. just has to go, you know, say something very straightforward, he's... He he does all the subtext for you. So, but in terms of but in terms of laugh of laughter, we do that happens most often. You know, is the laughter. But the thing with that is to is sort of 
you know, editing it and make uh, making sure that the laughs are, you know, fit with the story, you know, because we do make sure to laugh a lot. But, of you know, there was, there was bits in it that we both loved that we found hilarious that couldn't be in the <laughs> film. the rest of the world found completely because, <laughs> You know, so you have to just go, they don't fit and yeah, they don't, you know, they're not right. And So does, does a film change? Is a film often in flux up until the last, the 11th hour? I mean, yes, because um, I was on set for a sequence set on the train towards the end where Mr. Brown punches Phoenix yes. and yes. that's obviously changed now. for Yes, the- it felt too violent. I really didn't like that scene and it was too long uh, and um, it's a great thing. This is where this is something David said. So yeah, we, we the great thing was, uh, I think because Heyday had realised from the f- course of the first film that I was very bad filmmaker. So they <laughs> p- factored in like three weeks of additional photography, like six months in. I think also to be fair to myself, because Paddington is not there until you start animating and seeing how those scenes work, yeah. it's very hard to get a sort of strong sense of, of, of how the movie's going to shape up because you can't sort of do an edit as you go along and go, well, it feels like this, but maybe we're missing this. You, you sort of go, it, it's a long period of exploration. And the good thing about it being animated is you can change all of his shots, you know, for, for a good nine months, you know, until you really have to, to lock them down. And so the possibility is there to do huge things. A massive thing's changed. I mean, the whole of the prologue was set in their treehouse and it was just sort of Aunt Lucy talking to him to begin with. So all of the, the rescue, that was a, a very late in the day idea. Oh, wow, OK. And, uh, and like you say, the scene on the train, that changed. Uh, so that, that changed because there was, a sort of, there was a series of callbacks we tried to do. In, and, and then when you put this film together, you go, I don't really care about any of that because Paddington's trundling off towards doom. And you sort of go, all I really want to do is see if Paddington's going to be all right and what's going to happen there. It's far too long. Mm. And David Heyman said to me, you can have seven seconds for that scene. So that was, and, and he just went, I, he went, I mean, he didn't say it quite like that, but he just went, you don't want to be away from Paddington for more than about seven seconds. And it was one of those notes you get where you go, I'm going to, I believe that, that sounded right. And so we went and tried to write a version of a scene where you could dispatch the villain within seven seconds. And it, yeah. it probably is about, it's probably a bit more than that, but you know, the throwing of the coconut ball felt like you could very, very succinctly oh, wow. do. I think, yeah, I think in fact that was the bullseye brown strand. And then we reverse engineered from there. Uh, yeah. And do you, do you also do that with the, uh, the character traits? Uh, so, yeah, Mrs. Brown can swim, which comes in handy at the end. Jonathan's into steam trains. Is that something you reverse engineer as well? Uh, or is that something a bit of both really my wife swims at the serpentine swimming club and and she was a sort of bit of a touchstone for the character of mary my wife's into steam trains (laughs) so are any of you into journalism (laughs) my my father was a train um he's he's since retired no but but so you sort of so, so that we probably engineered in a way that you go well it always felt like wild swimming might be a kind of fun mrs brown slightly eccentric hobby and then the end. So and and then other bits. You kind of go. I don't think there was a lot of reverse engineering, was there? No, I'm trying to think of the steam. The steam because the trains were in pretty early, and I think we liked the idea of Jonathan being able to steal a train. But it was um, knuckles for a long time. Well, that's oh, really? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had. Um, yeah. Do you know what that might have been reverse engineered? Because that was. Yeah. We had. We thought he was a great. Also, you put a sort of family film in it prison you go what are they in for <laughs> that's a tricky one they've that's all been in there one. for about 10 years and you go wow well, it's got the to most, be something the pretty most bad. straightforward burglary <laughs> just a smash window and a, and a, and a necklace <laughs> nothing that you can get a 10 year like prison sentence for is child friendly no it's um it's well, we had him as a train he was a train, train robber train robber okay yeah, and so, so we thought that that we for a long time for a while we thought our, that was great i mean it's sort of you know there's a reason my deep freeze has got a padlock on it <laughs> it's not what you want anyone to say <laughs> so um uh but knuckles is an amazing character and he comes back uh, to save the day at the end of the day um i think it was talking i think it might have been you paul you said it was a han solo moment yeah definitely i mean we we sort of um uh i mean <laughs> not to admit that we stole every single beat in the film from other films <laughs> but we, but we, we we deliberately we, tried to make it as well we studied that sort of moment and, and how it how it worked definitely that's a it's a such a key moment for any film is that sort of climactic sort of two minutes and you want to be testing your characters 
philosophy. I suppose one of the things we mainly wanted to do with the film was go, here's Paddington with these lovely, you know, Frank Capra, James Stewart, homespun philosophy, decent, worthy individual, put them out in the real world and test how those values withstand a cynical, you know, mm. uh, big bad city. Uh, and that was really the kind of the, the kind of the premise of, of, of the film. And then you sort of go, well, what you really, for the most exciting, this sounds very dry, but for the most exciting ending, you really want to get to the stage where you go for all of Paddington's goodness and kindness and the support of his family. It's not enough. He assumed because the big bad world is going to win. And I'm sorry, kids, it's a horrible world out there and and just being nice isn't enough. And so that's why you want to push that moment in the carriage to go. It's not just, oh dear, Paddington's doomed. It's the whole philosophy that we want to believe that kindness is rewarded seems completely futile (laughs) and that the man who you thought was your friend in prison i'm sorry but bad people abandon you it's really an existential crisis we want (laughs) want the audience to feel feel, so it's not just the kind of the oh sad drowning bear and then you go and then knuckles comes back because there was good in him after all and paddington was right and aunt lucy was right to look for good in him Mm. and so hopefully the appearance of brendan like a great big sea lion isn't just yay he can break locks but triumph of the philosophy yes good good has defeated evil uh and a a couple of very quick uh, knuckles related questions uh in the laundry scene i think in the escape scene we see his uh laundry pack and it says d mcginty so yes doyle 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 Doyle, mcginty McGinty, doyle mcginty that's an amazing name doyle's it's the name of the guy in um isn't uh, it french connection or something no it's um it's in um what the 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 Paul Newman, he's on the train, he's gambling. The Sting. Oh, the yes. Sting, yes. Doyle uh, Lonergan. Yes. And- Lonergan. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. Um, so, Robert Shaw, Robert yeah, Shaw. one of Robert yeah. Shaw's many great Incredible roles. Character. yeah. Uh, and, uh, you remember that name. <laughs> he's got- he keeps getting his name wrong, doesn't he? Paul Newman keeps <laughs> yeah. going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really winds him up. And yeah. we, we really- Lonergan keeps calling him different versions. <laughs> it's Lonergan. You'll do well to remember that. <laughs> So he's got a very odd, soft voice in that film, hasn't he? He's yeah. not like the hard man at all, no, but right. he, he looks amazing. Um, Knuckles is also on the receiving end of the film's soul hard stare. Uh, was that always the case? Uh, and when did that come about? I think we thought, because it wasn't in for a while, but I think we really felt that if anyone was going to get a hard stare, it had to be Knuckles. I think we like the idea that um, the hard stares for people who've forgotten their manners is the great test. In the first film, I had this scene for a while where Paddington gave Millicent a hard stare and she went stare all you like bear it won't have any effect on me and it was like oh you're you know she's kryptonite because she was she didn't have manners to remember yeah whereas Knuckles we always felt had the heart of gold it wasn't him mm. for all, I don't I think it was it wasn't in from day one was it we sort of no we were sort of struggling in, in that scene out. to get him to turn we sort of wrote the kind of the first scene which was very early and, and when he meets him in the canteen and that more or less stayed the same Oh, wow. Okay. Then the second scene where he winds him up, we sort of, we found the winding up and then we were struggling to go, how does he unwind him, if you know what I mean? And then the hard stairs mm. sort of presented itself. Brendan, and it works great and he plays it. He plays he's it fantastic. So Brendan's amazing. Is it hard in here? He's so, it's so <laughs> nice to see. It's, it's he's just lovely. great. And his face in close-up rewards so much detail. Like he's yeah. just amazing. He's CG, isn't he, Brendan? He's entirely <laughs> CG. Yeah. He's CG. Um, yeah. His pronunciation of the word marmalade. Marmalade. Has uh, transfixed mm. me ever since. Mar- he did a few of those. He had marmalade. He had baguette. Was his, he brought <laughs> yes. all baguette. that. Okay. Um, Brendan brought loads we, uh, and he really brought the depth of the character as well I think because we'd sort of written this thing where he kicks off and is sort of smashing plates and stuff and we wrote this line oh my father always said I amount to nothing and, and then he was right and we sort of just wrote it as a, what we thought was quite a funny thing for a sort of big man kicking off to say it was more of a joke really wasn't it and mm. Brendan completely ran with that because he's not only brilliant at doing heightened comedy but he really keeps the character alive like he's all of our performers are amazing i think at that combo of what is really quite silly comedy and Mm. proper grounded reality and it's amazing combination and and he so then he just went i want to say marmalade marmalade Mm. (laughs) because we sort of talked about oh maybe his mother had made marmalade and what is it that's happening when he's kind of tasting that marmalade sandwich you go. That's all him, and that's wow. it, it's, it's lovely. Yeah. Why working with 
great actors makes your film look less champagne. I, th- I think his he had a few things he wanted. I remember that first day of rehearsal and he had a f- that that the knuckles mm. with the, his strange crossover fist thing. He liked the idea that he, he really wanted the wrong to do hands, that. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was a very funny. <laughs> we sort of went he sort of showed us, you know, with great sort of he's really like he just he's such, such a bold choice yeah yeah he makes such bold choices and he went I want to do this and he showed us and he went okay <laughs> interesting we didn't quite know what to make of it and then we sort of just went alright it's yeah. actually it. brilliant and it I was know. actually great it's, it's quite a really hard big moment those, those early rehearsals when you've sort of written, especially writing with Simon who acts all the part you know like so the, our standard way is we just talk really don't we And but you do a lot of the performance and Simon's a great comic performer and you sort of go well I'd sort of got used to how Simon did most of the roles and it's quite tricky that sort of handover where you go it's not it's it's various people called Hugh and Brendan and Sally now and it, it's going to be they're going to find it funny in different ways you know they, they have yeah. to find their way to make it funny in their mouths rather than yours and and that was that was really tricky but obviously they all ultimately end up doing uh, a, a much, much better job, much better job. <laughs> I, I started that sentence that's why, that's why they get they get paid so much better there was a sort get. of tenth of a second pause there as I realised I'd really dug no, a good, terrible it hole should be. it ought to be that why do it you look so angry that. though I mean you've but got to accept the, the there's, uh, there's only one person who can play Barry right well now I, I thought not to have Barry now I uh, <laughs> Barry um, I mean we've got, I suppose we've got to talk about Barry now we're here we, we have to we have to um, I know Paul wants yeah. to talk about about Barry a lot. <laughs> Paul insisted that I get back in the old outfit. And, get the hair straighteners um, out. Get the hair straighteners out. And Well, there's so many security guards in, in the film. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's the thing you realise is you, you, one of them may as well be Barry. Because, and that's um, how it was, wasn't it? It really I mean, was we, that, yeah. Because Simon did say, I think semi-jokingly a couple of times, is there going to be a role for Barry? And a little callback for Barry? And I always find these films, especially sequels, where you go, you've seen it once four years ago, and they go, we've got to call back that security guard again. No, you don't. Yeah. No one can remember who he, Barry was. Well, he no, was, he remember he who was Empire Barry Magazine's was. character of the year in I know, that 2014. Was the day I so. my subscription. <laughs> <laughs> have you not been, we put it on the mailing list have you not been getting them <laughs> uh, it's uh, but, and then, yeah. then we had this quite dry scene in St Paul's which was just a really boring investigation scene where the family come along and go can you describe them it was like you know you sort of sometimes write a, a bad scene and go we'll find something funny for that later and it was really about two weeks before we filmed we suddenly went wasn't it, it was quite, I think it was mm, quite late we it just was. went it should be Barry and suddenly the scene sort of that was one which sort of wrote itself because you go, oh, well, it's just, it's great. It's Barry, you know, with his penchant for, penchant for um, men in drag. Mm. Yeah, stop that sunny sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and there's something slightly wrong about it. Which yes, there I is. I think appealed yeah. to the, the eight-year-old. Well, he's very naughty. Yes, he's, he, he, you know, he single-handedly got the first film a PG. So. <laughs> Maybe he can do the same again. I know, it was the sexual content. Ecclesiastical uh, (laughs) blasphemy of some kind. The idea that, find that that was the the single most ridiculous thing about the first film, aside from it finding an audience, was that it was a PG for sexual content because (laughs) Hugh Bonneville dressed as a cleaning lady who was just too damn sexy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That is the least sexy thing I have ever seen. I'm going to have to stop you there. It's not bad, it's not bad. Um... I'm just fascinated that Barry, who obviously, he just fails upwards, which I think is a, again, is that a comment on British society? I mean, he, he yeah. absolutely screwed the pooch in the first movie. And yeah. now here he is, vice deputy head or deputy vice head of yeah. security. Mm. It's Paul's amazing that, he, that he's got another job, actually. <laughs> well, we thought, didn't we think he had to take time off? He'd had a career break because yeah. he was so traumatised. Yeah. By the, and he'd finally break. gone back to security going, oh, I'll never see another beauty like that. I can go. <laughs> I think his. I think he. He'll have taken a break, you know, for um, sort of a bit of anxiety, you know. And then mm. someone said, "Listen, mate, you should. There's an open up at St Paul's, you know. You should." And he's gone, "No, no, I don't. I don't feel ready yet." And they go, "No, no, I'll put a word in with a soup, and uh, we'll get you a job there." Mm, yeah, all right. And then he slowly worked his way up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're being, we're about to be wrapped up. So I haven't even really asked about Phoenix Buchanan, um, oh. who's an amazing, amazing character. Uh, sure can you do. talk about his, choosing his uh, array of characters slash disguises and uh, and and, and oh, Hugh's yes. Hugh's range of accents? Wow. 
Uh, we didn't I know he'd be that good, he, actually. He had yeah. three. It's extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know he had uh, two. Hold on. He's got Scottish, it's Cockney. Cock- Cockney's good. Scottish. Belgian. He does, yes, he does, Belgian. Yeah, he does Poirot. Well, why have I forgotten Scottish? Poirot. Oh, Macbeth. Wait, doesn't he do Macbeth? Yeah. Hey, he does he, Macbeth, he does I. He? <laughs> it's like watching Cloud Atlas it, again. It was, I know. <laughs> it's but amazing. Even more disturbing, if such a thing were possible. Um, he... Um, what was the question again? The question was, how did he decide which which characters he oh, was going to have yes. in his repertoire? Um, he was actually very good. I know, because for some great, reason yeah. you sort of go... You, I didn't immediately assume he could do the accents, although I did watch Cloud Atlas to, to, mm. to see if there were any sort of usable voices. Because, you know, some people mm. just have had three voices that they can do or something. But he was he was great. And he just did all those things for real. Like, you sort of go, oh, is this going to be a problem? We'll have to revoice it later or sort of do different takes or something. But he was great. Like, those scenes where he's talking to the mannequins, he was very good and played loads of different things. And I think he's got terrific range. Like, he's obviously brilliantly funny and, and has been in lots of films, I think. I, I've always found him incredibly charming and funny in lots of different films. But... It's nice to see him playing the baddie. I always like that film, An Awfully Big Adventure, where he mm. he plays a really kind of sleazy theatre sort of impresario type and and thought how great he was in that. And it's just nice to see him doing something different and, and seeming to have a lot of fun with it, although he would be the last person to ever admit that. <laughs> <laughs> he ever, did have a lot of fun. I think so. Ever admit to having fun? No, no. The whole thing's a real bore. <laughs> Any characters cut out, or do we have the full repertoire, the full Phoenix Buchanan repertoire? Um, did he do a Toad of Toad Hall? I can't he remember. Did. Yes, um, he did. Yes. So it was really the choice of those were the most recognisable sort of non-copyright, non-copyright. Yeah, <laughs> the, you know. Um, so I think we had Lady Bracknell and and Hercule Poirot, Ham- Hamlet, Macbeth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a sort of kind of Chekhovian sort of Scrooge. white linen suit. Scrooge. There's a lot of Dickens, even though they're not really plays. Well, I mean, they're not plays. There's no really about the, the factually novels. But, uh, but you can imagine stage adaptations. Yeah, exactly. And they're not, yeah. So I, we sort of and the non... Where's the non from? Well, the Sound of Music, oh, yeah. we thought the non yeah. might be from. But yeah. has anyone ever done a dragged up Sound of Music? I mean, I know... They ought to. The Prince Charles... <laughs> But <laughs> lots of things are going to happen now. We're going to get Hugh Bonneville's Chakrabatics video. We're going to get Sound <laughs> yeah. the Music drag. Star- starring yeah. Hugh Grant. Yeah. <laughs> it's proved he can sing. I want to see Phoenix's one-man show. I think that might yeah. be a good thing for him to do, his do one-man you? show. An evening of anecdotes and song. <laughs> That'd be we amazing. always just thought it was the worst evening out. And we, There's a great Ian McKellen yeah. 1970s video that's on YouTube of him doing all of Shakespeare. Yeah, and you just go, yeah. he's a terrific actor, don't get me wrong. But the idea that you've gone, I tell you what, I find all these other people doing the part just not quite <laughs> as good as, as yours truly. I mean, yeah. I know I'm not a woman, but I don't see why yeah. I shouldn't do a bit of Juliet. It's what, one of my... What's like from Yonder Window Briggs? I saw that. I actually saw that. You saw the yeah. show? I saw an Ian McKellen one-man show at the uh, Park Theatre in Finsby Park a few months ago, and he did his but Juliet. He's still doing it, isn't he? He's That's still like doing 30 years he later. He hides behind a chair. Of course he, he does. What's soft, what light, what front, what Amazing. Yeah, you know, Amazing. Gandalf, the hoary old wizard. He, he did everything. Gandalf, he did his uh, Coronation Street character. He did everything. There's a good 70s one, though, where he slightly looks like he's just stepped out of the rehearsal for Jesus Christ Superstar, which just gives it the <laughs> added frisson of total ridiculousness. There's an amazing... Uh, clip on YouTube of him and Patrick Stewart in the 70s and Patrick Stewart has this great Larry David-esque mane of, of hair just <laughs> I sticking think I've out. I seen that, yeah, yeah. It's extraordinary. Oh, I really want to see that. You should check it out. Uh, brilliant. Uh, Simon and Paul, I could talk to you about this film all day but I can I can sense from your expressions that would be an appalling prospect so we should probably call it a day here. It's a total pleasure. <laughs> so it's a we, pleasure. Yeah. And we shall uh, see you in on for Paddington 3. 3 through 7. We're filming them simultaneously. Good. Excellent. Make it so. Uh, Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Okay, so that was Paul King and Simon Farnaby. And uh, let's just talk about this movie uh, in general terms because nobody's seen it yet. So we don't have listeners' questions to engage with. Uh, I'm going to start where I started with Paul and Simon. I'm going to start where at the end of the movie and the return into Paddington's life of Aunt Lucy... And it's, it is an extraordinary piece of direction for me because you know it's Aunt Lucy. 
Yeah. Not just from the moment that the doorbell rings, but there's a whole lot of setup. Yeah, there and is. The ability, I think, for Paul King to sustain that and sustain that build-up, you know who's going to be at the door. So by the time you get to the door and the door opens, you are already a sobbing emotional wreck. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I think I'm just, I'm a sobbing emotional wreck just thinking about it. So am I! What the <laughs> hell's happened? I'm a hardened cynical... It's, cynical it's two bears hugging and uh, CG it's a bears literal hugging. bear hug. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure there is a scene where that happens in the country bears that didn't make me weep <laughs> like a broken but person. It, I, th- I think what it is, I mean, first of all, it's the best waking up after being unconscious scene since How to Train Your Dragon, which mm. I think is also great. But it's, I think it's it's that sense that Paddington can't let himself believe it until it actually happens. Mm. I mean, I've got questions. That's what kills. <laughs> about this bear coming to life. <laughs> I've got I've got some questions, but um, they're best not addressed. Probably. I think, uh, what I think are, what are the questions? Which is how did she get there? Well, they flew. She, they, 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 they 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 collected they collected yeah. money, and and then the colonel called in his buddy at the air force. Yeah. Oh. They right, explain right, it right, right. all of it. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, my questions have, have been answered by the film. I think really I was good. too busy weeping. That's possible. It was That's the point of a spoiler special. We like to <laughs> like to put people's minds at, at rest. There we go. Uh, this is this is such a, a lovely film, and I think it ends on an absolute perfect note with uh, with Paddington saying, "Just simply happy birthday, Aunt Lucy." Oh my God, I'm God, <laughs> uh, and it's just it's an amazing, amazing contrast. Again, we talked about this with with uh, Farnaby and King. It's not like a solicitors, but mm. uh, the juxtaposition of Paddington being an actual horrible peril, which is really dark in this film. When there are moments in the first movie with. Nicole Kidman trying to kill him. Yeah. And I remember watching the first movie, I think maybe the third time I saw it in the cinema, and the moment where he's crawling up the, the chimney, Mission Impossible style, with the sort with, of vacuum cleaners. Yeah, it was two vacuums. And he falls. I, I will never forget this. Like a young girl, maybe six or seven, just yelled out, Oh no, he's going to fall! <laughs> and just reminded me of just how infested you can get in a movie as yeah. a kid. And this movie is way beyond that. It's not like, oh no, he's going to fall. He's going to drown while looking into the eyes of Mrs. Brown of his surrogate as, his, mother. as his life ebbs away. Oh my God. The only good thing is that drowning is meant to be peaceful. That's not <laughs> true. Is you it? Know, obviously, there's a, there's a convulsive moment when the water enters your lungs. And that's going to be horrible. But then there's a moment when you become euphoric. Um, really I've heard it's horrendously I've heard it's the painful. worst way to yeah. die Chris but um, mm. I do agree that kids love this thing I, I was so the second time I saw it in a non-creepy way I was sort of glancing around the cinema to see how other people were reacting because I'd already seen it and and the, without exception the kids were staring open-mouthed and completely transfixed at the screen no matter how little and when I went the third time to see this which I definitely <laughs> haven't overdosed um, it was for uh, it was to host a panel Q- uh-huh. discussion with Farnaby and King yes, and King. Um, and Heyman, yeah. their junior partner, and uh, he's a senior partner actually. Yes. Um, yes, and and the two Hughes, the Hughes Bonneville, uh, and, Bonneville Grant. and Grant, uh, and and the seventies que- folk duo, <laughs> and the kids' questions were out of this world amazing. First of all, you had very very sort of granular plot questions like why didn't the policeman in the station think it was weird when the bin spoke to him. <laughs> very fair question. Uh, according to Paul King, it's because he's very stupid. <laughs> so there you go. That's that's not a canon. Um, <laughs> but but what was what was just amazing was how they weren't quite sure how real Paddington was. Mm. So so somebody did ask, you know, who stood in for Paddington on set and. Uh, Hugh Bonneville explained that they had a, a lady who's about Paddington's height who would sometimes wear his hat and sometimes they just had a, a sort of a cutout or a stick or something like that. Um, and of course, Bonneville then added that that's because Paddington would be in his trailer making marmalade well, yeah. most of the day. Obviously, he'd only could show up for a key shot. He doesn't have people to do that for him. Mm-hmm. No, no, he only shows up. For, he wouldn't. He wouldn't outsource the marmalade making. Right. But he will outsource, you know, wide shots. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, Makes sense. So... So Bonneville very gracefully dealt with this, whereupon uh, another slightly less small child asked the question, well, we all know that Paddington is animation. <laughs> Whoa. But how did you animate him? And and I literally saw a, a tiny child in the second row sort of go, what? And turn around to look at her like, what are you saying? My goodness. So yeah, it was it was exciting. They also asked if any of the panel had ever acted before, <laughs> which was great. Had they? 
I believe that Hughes, Grant and Bonneville have done one or two pieces. Um, yes. I imagine uh, if you're Simon Farnaby sitting there, the star of Horrible Histories and Yonderland, yes. and someone asks you that question, it's like, well, come, not, up, come up and say it to my face. He did He did get stopped by a, by a Horrible Histories fan on the way out. Oh, nice. And then another small child stopped David Heyman with a detailed list of questions about gravity. Not kidding. The film or the, the sort of scientific principle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I didn't stay and listen closely enough. It could have been both. <laughs> How do things drop? <laughs> I'm not sure I'm the cleverness, but... Um, yeah, I didn't. I haven't seen this film uh, with kids in the audience, but I, I saw it at a press screening in the middle of the day with a lot of hardened journalists, and I was weeping at the end. And I was like, I, I was wondering, are other people having the same reaction, or is this just me? And I came out, and everybody was dabbing their eyes, yeah. and looking kind of trying, looking a bit embarrassed. But um, oh, I love this film. I haven't seen quite so many distraught journalists since Finding Neverland. I don't think. <laughs> where there were a lot of people suddenly putting on sunglasses in the middle of November mm. as this they come on. Kill this for me, but for a very different reason. Um, I saw yeah. a lot of weeping during Fantastic Four. But uh, of course, the, yeah, yeah, there was. Of course, the, uh, the, 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 the policeman who doesn't spot that it's Paddington hiding in a bin in Paddington Station is the same policeman in the first movie who says, well, it's not a lot to go on. Yes. When he's given a detailed description of a bear, a talking bear in a in a in a, in a bright blue raincoat, um, is it That's blue or point. red? It's a blue, blue. duffel coat. Red duffel coat and a red hat. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, this is such a lovely movie, and it's, it's so well calibrated from the off. Uh, it really gets its hooks into you emotionally from the beginning with that rather lovely um, sort of prologue with uh, Uncle Pastuzo and Aunt Lucy saving a fair young Paddington. Mm-hmm. And from the moment he looks up, the young Paddington looks up with his Puss in Boots eyes that are too big for his face. I just, oh, you bastard. You've got me again. <laughs> You've got me again. Because the, the first movie is full of those little lovely little grace notes, like uh, whenever Paddington meets Mrs. Brown for the first time and the found sign light comes on yeah. in the lost and found at Paddington's. I'm going again. What the hell is wrong with me? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I am a grown man in control of my emotions. It's just, it's such a, such a beautiful film. But this is a funnier film as well. And it is more ambitious and it is more extravagant. And it does finish with the train chase. But it also introduces, it does that, that it, it's a really tricky balancing act with, with, with sequels. In that you have to have the sort of the gangs all here syndrome where you bring everybody back and you have to give them all yeah. something to do. And everyone does have something to do, and it all feels fairly organic. Although, as you heard from the interview with King and Varnaby, some of those things were then working backwards. They were like, "Oh, we need Mrs. Brown to be swimming in yeah, this bit." Yeah, so I thought that, that. I thought that was the one. That's, <laughs> let's work backwards. The, the callback, the kind of you know setting things up and paying them off. She's done really well, except for that one. I she think, wants to swim. So <laughs> obvious. <laughs> that, that weird bit where she's like, "Yeah, she wants to swim the channel." Yeah, and then yeah. Yeah, I that, guess that was the only one. There's, there's no criticism of this film in this podcast. Yeah, I, I don't know how you. I know how spoiler specials. That? That's my only one. Spoiler specials usually work like this: like we bring the film in, and even if we like the film, we do give it a mild kicking. But that's not going to happen <laughs> here, okay? We love Paddington too. Yep. This is this is all good. So take any negativity that you have and just stow it. Mister. I mean, I do have some questions about the prison's oh, food, oh, food budget. I mean, <laughs> same here. <It's> the, <laughs> But you know, it's it's rather lovely. But I imagine there are people in the in the British penal system who are beyond the well, reform I mean, of a young talking bear with some marmalade sandwiches. I'd like it's to think not, not. But but you know, my, my question is more: where are they getting the money for these ground almonds for the macaron? You know, and and I mean. The sheer time involved in some of those showstoppers. It's basically the prison meets Bake Off and then it turns into the prison meets Strictly Come Dancing. It's, ama- so it's an amazing prison. That's, that was my point because the, uh, I think it's all beautifully calibrated and it's not calibrated in a way that to me feels manipulative. You know, I mentioned there are some filmmakers who have algorithms and some filmmakers and some studios perhaps that are making movies for kids and they're thinking, all oh, right, okay, so we have to have this much humor and then we have to make them cry at this part. And Paul King doesn't feel like he might very well work in that way, but he doesn't feel like he does. He feels like he works in a very instinctive way. Mm-hmm. And so you have the the peril of Paddington almost drowning. And we all know he's not going to drown. We all know that Knuckles is going to come back and save him because that's how these things work. And then you go straight into the Aunt Lucy thing. And mm-hmm. then the minute you're destroyed, what he does is, is really, really cool. So you have the scrapbook thing, which starts making you laugh. And then the glory of Phoenix Buchanan and his one-man show, uh, singing and dancing. Yeah. And you come out of the cinema on an absolute high. And yeah, that's, that's beautiful without, to me, feeling manipulative or 
or contrived yeah, in a way. I, th- I think that's that's right. Um, I, I love that Craig Revel Horwood obviously choreographed obviously. that dance, obviously from Strictly Come Dancing. But what's uh, what's fascinating is that Hugh Grant said he he was there, uh-huh. but he didn't really choreograph. That all came from within Hugh Grant himself. It was apparently it was almost like he was channeling something. Um, he told me so. Uh, that scene is amazing. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, what we, so what I was going to say is you have this gangs all here uh, approach to sequels where you have to give everybody something to do, and you do that, but you can also upset the apple cart by bringing in new people. Yeah, and I thought this movie really handled it beautifully with Phoenix Buchanan and Knuckles McGinty. Um, <laughs> And his mamalid. Mamalid. I still can't say how Brenda Gleeson is. I can't do it. No, it's... Mamalid. Mamalid. Paddington. Mamalid. Nick, what did, you, what did you make of those two additions to the to the movie? Uh, I loved both of them. I thought they were great. I thought Hugh Grant was the the the, the film stealer um, with his his furry foppish actor. There was a bit of Vincent Price from Theatre of Blood in there a little bit. <laughs> I loved all of the the stuff where he's interacting with his mannequins and yes, <laughs> you know, turn, enough <laughs> Macbeth addressing all the different characters. So making there was a bit of Poirot in there at one yeah. point, mm-hmm. which I liked. Um, you could argue he's the best Poirot you'll see on the cinema screens in November. Oh this month. no, you could make that argument. I of course would, <laughs> would not. So of course. Uh, I loved all the pictures of young Hugh Grant around the house. Those are hilarious. Which he provided. Yes. That's from Hugh Grant's personal collection, <laughs> including a whole bunch of stuff. That, that, uh, so fan sketches that were handed to him over the years by fans. And he kept them, which I think is really lovely, actually. Yeah, it is nice. Uh, you know, I, I imagine a lot of actors would just go, and throw them away. And, and big shout out to the production design in this film, because I would like them to come and do my house, because... <laughs> Oh my god! Like every room is incredible. Like his house as well as as the Browns' house. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's just gorgeous. He was great. Knuckles, uh, equally brilliant. I think it's so good. Um, Except for his grammar and spelling. His his yeah the, the spelling of his knuckle tattoos <gasps> was not not up to par. I do wonder when you're writing about this film officially when you you're saying Knuckles McGinty. Do you because we spell it knuckles the way that you would spell with knuckles a, but now do, should yeah. we spell it the way he spells it with no, a capital N and no. a, an apostrophe between the E and the S no because if you try to write that on paper the paper will burst spontaneously <laughs> into flame um, I thought Brendan Gleeson's actually in, in a way the sort of secret weapon of this movie I think we all knew Hugh Grant was going to be great we all knew that a character called Phoenix Buchanan was going to deliver and he does but Knuckles McGinty is a I think Many other actors would have just turned it into a cliche fest. He's really, really great. Uh, he is recipient of the film's only hard stare, and he plays that <laughs> moment beautifully. Uh, he is the centerpiece of perhaps my favourite joke in the movie, which is when Paddington introduces the Browns to all the prisoners, and they come, they come swooping in one at a time. I love the politician. He comes, I hope I can count your vote, and he just pops up. <laughs> Uh, and then you have that great joke about we can still hear you. Yeah. <laughs> you um, just turned the light off. The microphone's over there. That shot and also large sections of the prison break uh, had a Wes Anderson-y feel to me. Oh God, so like much very that. Grand yeah. Budapest Hotel. Um, and I like that 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 kind of stylized feel of it. Yeah. I also think uh, talking about Knuckles, he has the greatest run of the year. <laughs> the way he runs, genuinely, when you see this again, you, like it is extraordinary. There's a right. weird pumping of the arms combined with a, a very strange gait. It's it's impressive. It really is. I've got questions um, about how he locates Paddington right at the end. He obviously saves the day because they're listening to it on the radio. But they they're, they're, they know it's on the the London to Bristol, Bristol yeah. line. Okay. All right, so, I need to see this film again. It's been a while. It's, 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 um, it's perhaps a stroke of luck that he's flying overhead at the exact moment <laughs> well, of Paddington is drowning. Yeah. But that's fine. I'm okay with that. It's all good. I'm I mean, okay. I love that. That that sequence is amazing. The the train chase. Um, there was a bit of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, I think, in there a little yes. bit. Yes. Well, anytime you're on a circus train, I guess. You're going to think of that. Yeah. Um, fewer giraffes, but yeah, it's a great sequence. I loved uh, Mr. Brown and his chakrabatics coming in handy <laughs> at the very last minute. Yep. Just he's doing the splits, but it's such an it's such a wonderfully inventive uh, movie. Just like and so warm, just like the first movie was. Uh, the pop up book sequence with Aunt Lucy was another moment that just it's so got gorgeous me. Yeah. and it's so beautiful and uh, innovative. And you have these lovely outbreaks of magical realism, 
I think you have more of them in the first movie, actually, but that they're just perfectly deployed. Um, and it's it's this wonderful storybook world. It's a London that is of the now, but it isn't of the now. It's, it feels very, at times it feels very 1950s. Mm. But it takes place, it's one of the things I love about this movie, and I really feel that this is the, the movie and the character for these hard times, because it's a movie that says, love thy neighbor, mm-hmm. look for the good in people, yeah. be tolerant of others, embrace immigrants, all the things that, you know, maybe we as a society could stand to listen to. Amen. And it's a, it's 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 such a yeah it's such a wonderful film. Uh, that I thought without we just, without yeah. being schmaltzy, without being, without being schmalt- pandering or yep. or beating a drum too much or being in your face about it, it's just quietly low key, mm. uh, not low key, uh, <laughs> low key, lovely. I just mm. it doesn't I, shove in celebrity cameos. It doesn't have like trendy pop songs at the moment that it no. could do all those things, and it mm. it doesn't. It feels old fashioned but modern. Yeah, at the same time. Why are there nuns in in St Paul's Cathedral? I ah, see. This is the thing, Helen. You come in here with your negativity, and <laughs> with the, I mean, this one's really coming in here with Catholicism. Yeah. Um, a herd of nuns. A herd of nuns, <laughs> which was one of my favourite lines that stuck in my head. Don't know why Simon Farnaby's description of a herd of nuns. A herd of nuns. Uh, um, right. Anything else you want to say about the film? Any other? Any other questions? Any other negative points? Knuckles. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm yeah. I'm very happy with it altogether. I'm a I'm a big fan of it all. It's it's really really great. Hugh Grant's fantastic. Uh, Tom Davis as the huge prisoner who tries to stitch Paddington up. The the, the <laughs> joke with the uh, the pink laundry outfits is played really really beautifully. Yep. Uh, I yeah, this is just a fantastic film. I I would I would even hazard an opinion that these are Pixar level movies mm. that uh, yeah. That have have come totally out of the blue. Speaking of Pixar and therefore yeah. animation, you know, huge props to Framestore who made yes. Paddington. Yes. What? No, he's real. I mean, they just made him look better. He's real. He was there. Stop giving me a hard stare, Chris. Paddington's real. Framestore just groomed him for him. That's right, Helen. It's just something I use when people have forgotten their manners. And no, obviously huge props to Framestore who have created Paddington from scratch, along with loads of people who go into making Paddington. Yes, but, lots. Yeah, but anyway, and Ben Wishaw as well. Like his oh voice work is just perfect. Can you imagine these movies having the same impact had Colin Firth stayed the course and been Paddington? I mean, much as it as it pains me to say it, I think they made the right choice in removing Colin Firth. Colin Firth removed himself. Colin Firth removed himself. He uh, he came to them and said, "This isn't working. I, I don't think I'm right for it." And they went, "Oh, well, okay, but okay, maybe, yeah, okay, you're right." And it's a tough it's a tough tough call to make. So if he knew himself, mm. yeah, there's something about the innocence and the boyishness of Ben Wishaw. Uh, that's great. I'm looking they've, forward to. They sorry, go on. I'm looking forward to Paddington developing a drug habit in ten years' time and. <laughs> Becoming obsessed with smell and murdering people because of it. So there will be a Paddington 3 that has been announced. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on where that might go? I mean, hopefully no bigger. Do you know what I mean? Not into space. No, but like I think, you know, as as, as I think Ollie said in the review, um, Paddington getting into trouble while trying to buy a birthday present is exactly the right level Mm. of of aim for him, Mm. you know? And I think think there's something... Perfect about that. Yeah, Mr. Curry, uh, uh, Peter Capaldi's character, seems to be the only one who's resistant to Paddington's charms. And I love yeah. the bit in the movie where he gets out his uh, his flip chart on the streets <laughs> after Paddington's out of prison. He's on sort of DEFCON 5 level panic. Um, so yeah, will he, will Paddington manage to charm Mr. Curry? Probably not. I don't think so. That's, yeah. that's going to yeah. stay. It's interesting because at the end of the last movie, Mr. Curry had kind of come around him he was instrumental mm. in trying to save Paddington's life and he realised that Nicole Kidman was going to actually kill Paddington and stuff and we thought oh maybe that's that's, that's maybe a little bit beyond the pale uh, but in this one the reset button seems to have been a bit hit uh, and I think also they probably realised they couldn't really push that character that far either yeah he doesn't get a lot to do in this movie but when he, when he is on screen he is pretty funny um, wild hysteria is, is, is very funny um, and maybe in the next one Paddington can save Stop Brexit. <laughs> we can hope. That would be nice. I'm not saying that that would be a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not 
taking I'm, that position. I'm straddling the fence, obviously, Helen, oh, on sure. this one. But yeah. if Paddington were to stop Something Brexit... Something that you won't be able to do anymore when there's a hard border, but that's fine. You, you go ahead. Straddle the fence, <laughs> straddle the fence while you may, Chris. A good time to stop this podcast. <laughs> and that's it for our Paddington 2 supporter special. Our next supporter special is... TBC. Just keep them peeled. And we shall see what we can see. Of course, the regular podcast is also out every Friday. If you don't already listen or subscribe, we would love it if you could do that. Uh, and until the next time, it is goodbye from Nick DeSemlian. Goodbye. It is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to learn how to say marmalade, 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 marmalade in the Knuckles McGinty style. It may take me a while. Thanks for listening. See you later. Bye. Marmalade, marmalade. Had it. No, can't do it. I think he leaves out the R. Mammalate. 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 That's it. Mammalate. Mammalate. <laughs> <laughs>